All right, team, how are we doing tonight? Um, man, Matt, thank you so much for that uh, introduction to my sermon tonight. It's going to be so easy to tee off of that. Um, guys, thank you so much for being here, and, and just uh, we're grateful to be gathered. Thank you so much. Come on, Shannon, give it up for this lady. So, um, y'all, I'm really pumped about tonight. Um, we are, we're kicking off, uh, <clears throat> and let's see, how many weeks until Thanksgiving? Is it really nine weeks? Okay, maybe it's never been done before. I'm sure somebody has it, so it's not the first time. But we're kicking off a nine-week series here from tonight through Thanksgiving. Um, and the, the title and what we're, we're going to be chewing on let me just kind of show my hand here a little bit. I feel like, you know, if, if you're new tonight or just coming in and you don't really have the context of where we've been, uh, my wife and I, we just moved here six weeks ago from Austin, Texas um, to become the lead pastors of this church. We were with Antioch in Austin. We were with Antioch in College Station, Texas before that. So we've been a part of this family of churches for a long time. And God just opened a door and made a way. And this is, you know, our six-week and the first few weeks of preaching, um, we were just talking about Jesus and looking at him, getting our eyes fixed on him. How many of you guys enjoyed the Anointed One series at all these last few weeks, okay? So honestly, that was just sort of like, okay, everybody's probably feeling, who is this guy? You know, we got a new lead pastor. You know, am I gonna like him? You know, like, do I, do I like the way he preaches? Do I like the way he dress, dresses? You know, like... Can I get it? Hey, man, just one or two other than my wife? No. Um, am I going to like this guy? Like, what's he going to change? It's fair. I've, some of you guys have become really close friends to me already, and you're like, what's he going to change? Where's he going to go? What's going to change about this church? Some of you are here. It's your first time, and you're like, Why, wh what are we even talking about right now? But all I'm trying to say is the, the last few weeks were sort of like, hey, we're, we're kind of moving into this transition, this new season together, and y'all are just kind of getting to know me a little bit and what makes me tick, what I love about Jesus, how I function. Tonight, I would say marks a little bit of a shift where um, we start to get a little bit intentional about not just me, but our team, our staff team, where we sense God leading us as a church community through this transition. You know what I'm saying? So for the next nine weeks until Thanksgiving, we're going to dive into a series that we're calling Blueprint. Because how many of you guys know that the church is the household of God? Do you guys know that that's the New Testament teaching of the church? It's a household. I mean, think about it. God's a heavenly father, right? We've been adopted. The theology of salvation is you've been adopted actually into the father's house through Jesus, who it says in scripture in Hebrews, became like his brothers in every respect. And so we actually have been welcomed in, not to an organization, not to a religion, but into a family. Can I get an amen? How many of you guys know that family is the most important thing on planet earth? That every single human soul longs to belong somewhere, longs to know that they matter, that they have a place, that they're loved, that they've got a people, they've got a tribe. And so the household of God is a far more accurate church for us than what we say church. We call the church, right? It's a far more accurate term than the church. It's a household. So you might be here, this might be your first night, this might be your sixth year, but if you're going to a place that is a New Testament biblical household of God, what I'm trying to say is God should be there and it should feel like family, okay? And if God's not there and it doesn't feel like family, then you might need to find a new house, you know? Like that's what, the, that's what God established on the earth. And so we're doing this series called blueprint because when can anybody work in construction or been in that field or or got even just a summer job you know carpentry hanging drywall okay when when they show up to work on a house they don't show up and just go okay what do we what should we do today 
What should we build? How should, what should this house look like? Hmm, let's get creative, guys. I mean, the last thing you want is the guys with the hammers and nails and wood designed to get creative about your house. You know what I'm saying? The last thing you want is the drywall crew to start getting, you know, really ingenuitive about, is that even a word? Probably not, Joe. But getting really creative about their ideas for, for your house. That's not how it works. You know what I'm saying? They show up. And they go straight to the, they go straight to the blueprint. It's already there, there. The architects already designed it. The engineers already approved it, right? The pros that actually know how to build a house, they created a blueprint. These guys show up and their job is to pick up a hammer, to grab some wood, to look at the blueprint and to build what was designed. And it is no different with the house of God. I don't have some great, hip, fresh vision for how we're gonna do church in Salt Lake City. I got the blueprint of God's word in the early church, and we're gonna chew on this thing for the next nine weeks and say, what has God already put in the design of his house? And how can we pick up hammer and nail and build that thing together? Here's the key, y'all so that we can build a place that he wants to live. It's his house. It's not my house. It is not your house. We're not building this thing for us. We're building it for him. And we're building a place where he's going to feel comfortable. Do you know what I'm saying? We want to build a place where he feels welcome to come in. We're going to build a place where he is the head of the house, where he has authority to touch every room of the house. He can change the paint color. He can change, he can knock a wall down, although I don't think that's in his character, but, but you know, he can have his way. It's his house. We're not building it for us. We're building it for him. And so I want you to dream with me for a little bit because we're gonna go into this blueprint thing for the next nine weeks and, and I just want you to dream for a second. They say that vision is painting a picture of the future. I wanna invite you to try to see the future with me a little bit tonight. Can you imagine having more of a connection with God than you ever thought was possible? Can you imagine what it would look like to freely encounter his love deeply and powerfully on a regular basis, to walk with him in a closeness that you've only dreamed of? Can you imagine being truly free, free to love him, free to receive his love, free to love yourself, free from the opinions of man, free from sin cycles and hang-ups and fear and bitterness? Can you imagine being truly free? Can you imagine your relationships in a church being more whole, healthy, and authentic than ever before? Can you imagine, what if you actually walked in the light, fully in freedom and exposed to your friends, and you partnered together to be a part of a mighty move of God? Can you imagine being a part of a faith community that was so dynamic that you couldn't wait for your next life group? You couldn't wait for the next Sunday afternoon. You couldn't wait for the next worship night. Can you imagine being a part of a church where God's presence dwells powerfully, where he's the main attraction, and every time we gather, he shows up because we built a house where he's comfortable and where he likes to hang out. Can you imagine discovering your calling, unearthing your gifting in a fresh way where you finally see and believe that you actually matter to what's going on here and what's going on in his kingdom? Can you imagine loving church like never before, because it's full of life, it's full of power, it's full of encouragement, because it feels like family, and because you have a place to contribute. Can you imagine a church alive and on fire, reaching the lost people in this city, carrying the good news of healing, of freedom, of hope, of restoration? What if... 
Isaiah 61, one through four, the spirit of the Lord, the anointing of Jesus. What if that was the soundtrack that was just on repeat in your life? You saw it every week, people getting saved, people getting restored, people getting set free. What if this was just on repeat in our community, families, marriages getting restored? What if this was just normal? My friends, This is normal in the household of God. When we build it after his blueprint, this is what happens. This is what becomes normal. This is what the body and the bride of Christ is supposed to look like, feel like, taste like, smell like, okay? Can you see the picture in the future? Can you imagine reading the book of Acts and going, man, that sounds just like my church. Can you imagine that? How cool would it be? If you read the book of Acts and didn't have to go like we've all done before, man, I wish my church was a little bit more like that. That sounds exciting, man. That sounds fun. That sounds alive. Guys, do you know that all of these things are normal in a healthy house, in a healthy household of God? Because this is who he is. It's the God we serve, and it's the God that we believe in. We spent three weeks preaching through the Anointed One series, and we shared this scripture that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That was his, I mean, what a job description, right? Like, like how cool, Swayze, or, oh, well, not Swayze, sorry, we didn't actually offer you a, a real job yet, okay? But how about Swayze bringing the word last week? Oh my goodness, I wasn't here. Maybe not many of you were either because I was, man, you should watch it like I did. It will encourage you. And, and it was such a timely word, I think, for where we're going in the season to raise our faith, raise our expectation. I was gonna make a joke about when we offered Swayze a job, but we, he's, he's a volunteer college pastor. So what if, who gets paid around here? <laughs> Shannon, what if when we offered you a job, your job description was destroy the works of the devil? Be like, man, You don't have to pay me nothing. That sounds pretty good. You know what I mean? What if Murray, you got a promo, right, in your sales gig? Murray's a salesman. He crushes it. What if his next job description was destroy the works of the devil? Murray would be like, I already do that. You don't have to pay me to do that, man. Okay, so look, that was not prescripted, by the way. That was a good joke, Murray. Um, Listen, guys, the anointed one came to reverse the curse to destroy the works of the devil, to undo and turn back everything that was broken in this world because of sin. And since the fall, God has been after our hearts to seek and save what was lost. He's been unfolding a redemptive plan that would stretch across the pages of history and bring a sweeping renewal to all of creation. We read about it last week in Revelation 21. Behold, he says at the end of time, he comes back saying, I am making all things new. But there was a moment in the anointed one's ministry that I believe tipped the scales completely, changed the story completely. Now, yes, the crucifixion of Jesus disarmed the powers of darkness, poured out the once-for-all ransom payment for mankind, right? But I'm actually not talking about the crucifixion. Yes, the resurrection three days later declared to all the world that death will not have the final word. You hear me? In this kingdom, death does not have the final word. But I'm actually not talking about the resurrection either. You see, it was 40 days later after his resurrection that there was this critical moment that came. Jesus, the anointed one, left. He ascended into heaven to reclaim his seat at the right hand of God. So wait, wait, wait. Chris, you're trying to tell me that in all of redemptive history, you, out of the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension, that you would pick the ascension as the most critical moment? Y'all think I'm crazy? Or y'all think I'm onto something here? You're, wait, 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 look, I'm not, look, I'm not trying to stir up any trouble here, but I just want us to spend some time in Acts 1 and Acts 2 today. So flip open your Bibles, open your phone. I wanna propose to you that the crowning achievement of the anointed one was that he left. 
okay? That the crowning achievement of Jesus' ministry on the earth was that he ascended, okay? Because what he did after he retook his seat next to the Father in heaven established the blueprint that we're gonna be digging into for the next eight to nine weeks. Are you with me? Acts chapter one. Now listen, we're gonna be reading a lot of the scripture tonight. Some of it I'm gonna paraphrase, but I hope you came hungry for the word of God. Did anybody listen to Swayze's message last week and raise your expectation for tonight? I hope you came hungry because we're gonna read a lot of scripture tonight and uh, we're gonna dig into this. It's gonna be fun. Acts chapter one, one through 14. Let's read it together. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. This is Luke writing. Luke wrote two books of the New Testament. If you're new to church, you're new to reading the Bible, man, that's amazing. We all go on a journey. We're in the New Testament. There's a guy named Luke. He was a doctor. He wrote this incredible account, a very detailed account, shout out to my physicians out there, on the life of Jesus. It's called Luke, the book of Luke, okay? And it covered Jesus' birth all the way to Jesus' resurrection, and the end of his life, okay? And then he wrote a second book called Acts. That's what we're in tonight. Acts covers the very beginning, what we're reading right now. It's Luke's second historical account of Jesus' life. And so he's saying, hey, in the first book, I dealt with what Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse six. So when they had come together, somebody say together. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But here's what I do want you to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, check this scene out, build this picture in your mind, okay? They were looking on. He was lifted up. A cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, and as he went away, behold, two men showed up standing by them in white robes. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Maybe it's just because we saw this guy that we've followed for the last three years of our life levitate and then disappear into a cloud. What do you mean? Why are we looking into heaven, right? The angels show up and they just ask like the craziest questions, you know? It's hilarious. Why are you looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. Hey, it's not the last time you're gonna see him. He's just gonna be coming the other direction next time, okay? When they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near, Jer wait, sorry, yeah, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, somebody say together, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Acts chapter one, Jesus is giving his final orders to these guys. Check it out. Wait for the promise. You'll receive power when it comes. Just wait. <laughs> These guys, for the past three years, 
I don't know what their actual percentage success rate was on doing what Jesus said, but you gotta hand it to them here in Acts chapter one that after three years, man, these guys obeyed Jesus, right? And they stayed, they waited, they waited and stayed. I want you to see three things, okay? They obeyed Jesus, they stayed together, and they prayed with devotion, okay? Obeyed, stayed, and prayed. Somebody say that with me. They obeyed, they stayed, and they prayed. This is so critical because what's about to happen in the next chapter changed the course of history. It is mind-blowing. It was the fulfillment of thousands of years of redemptive work, okay? Because they obeyed Jesus, they stayed together, and they prayed with devotion. Look at chapter two, flip to chapter two. Now after 10, so he floats up in the cloud, disappears, and they wait, check it out, for 10 days, all right? Some of you guys get frustrated waiting in the coffee shop drive through line when you gotta wait for 10 extra seconds, you know? I, like, we don't do very well waiting, but have you noticed in scripture how much God asks us to wait and how he very, I don't, I'm not sure, Jeglum theologians out there, y'all can help me. I'm not aware of a lot of times where he says, hurry up. <laughs> because usually we're ahead of God trying to do our own things, trying to create our own activity, right? Instead of waiting, obeying, staying, and praying. They obeyed Jesus. They waited. And then check what happens in chapter two. When the day of Pentecost, so 10 days of waiting, 10 days later, they were all together in one place. Somebody say together. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. We just sang a song about that. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together, somebody say together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. All right, they obeyed, they stayed, and they prayed and then God moved, okay? Do you see the distinction between what they did and what God did? This is critical if we're gonna read the blueprint and, and partner with God to build something. They obeyed Jesus, they stayed together, and they prayed with devotion, okay? And then God moved. God moved. And he pours out the fulfillment of prophecies, hundreds of years, of thousands of years of redemptive activity was leading up to this point where he poured out his, you know that there were 120 people in this room? 120 people. Look around this room right now. There's probably less than that in this room, maybe close, I don't know. Maybe there's about 120 people in this room. It wasn't a stadium. They obeyed. They stayed together, 120 of them, and they prayed with devotion, and God moved. He pours out his spirit. It's so wild what happens. Now, check this out. Did you catch how the city drew near to the sound? God moved. They encountered God in a way that created a sound in a city. And the whole city came to the sound. 
We talked a couple weeks ago about putting on the garment of praise and how in heaven the angels day and night they're singing worthy is the lamb that was slain and how our job on the earth is to just join that song. We pray on earth as it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come on earth. Let it sound on earth like it sounds in heaven. I want to be a church of worshipers where we're making a sound on the earth. We cut one song from the beginning because we're going to worship a little bit longer here at the end, okay? So, so put this in your pocket for that moment. But I want us to be a church that makes a sound here on the earth as it is in heaven, what the angels are doing. Because when the, we encounter God and a sound erupts from the people of God that are together, do you know that it draws the city in? Do you know that it draws a broken city into the sound of heaven? They don't know why. It might be a little crazy when they show up. Hopefully they don't hear somebody blabbing in some strange language. But look, they were amazed at what they came to that day. You know what I'm saying? A sound drew in the city, an encounter with God. They obeyed. They stayed together. And they prayed with devotion and God moved. He moved so crazy and so hard that some of the people thought they were drunk. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase this part, but some of the people said, what's up with these guys? Are they drunk in here? And Peter gets up and he, now go to verse 14. Peter gets up to interpret the event. Okay, so we have the event. 120 people House starts shaking, people speaking languages they never studied for, okay? The sound erupts, the whole city comes in. It's so crazy, people are like, these guys drunk? Peter stands up for the interpretation of the event, and he says this. He stands with the 11, he lifts his voice and he addresses them. He said, men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only, the thir it's only nine o'clock in the morning, he said. Ain't nobody drunk in here. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and he interprets the event by quoting from Joel's prophecy. In the last days it shall be, declares the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. It's getting crazy. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Don't miss verse 21, church. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He interprets what happens and he preaches the message of the gospel. He continues in verse 22. He says, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 32 this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, please don't miss this Jesus, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Are you with me, church? I know we're reading a lot of scripture, okay? He gets up. He interprets what just happens. He said, look, this Jesus who you crucified, significant event, right? This Jesus who death could not hold him was resurrected. 
significant event, okay? But here we are. He ascended, and he has just poured out something that you are now seeing and hearing. And I would venture to say to you guys that 120 people, they obeyed, they stayed, they prayed, and God moved. And the anointed one did the culminating work of his ministry on the earth. He left, and he went and he sat back on his throne, and it took him 10 days. I don't know what he was thinking about in those 10 days. I don't know what he was doing. He was getting ready, but he was doing something there for 10. It was probably some of Jesus's most favorite 10 days of all of history, because he was waiting too, and he knew what was coming. And on that day of Pentecost, guys, check this out. The anointed one pours his anointing out over the church. I believe the ascension was the critical turning point in history because the anointing went off one God-man and got on to thousands of men and women. Do you know the word Christ means anointed one? So do you know that if you call yourself a Christian, you're saying, I'm a little anointed one? Do you know that that's not arrogance or pride? Do you know that the Bible teaches that when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus, like we had a handful of people do a couple weeks ago, and you believe in him, and you receive the love of God, you become adopted into the family of God, and in that moment, the word of God teaches that you get sealed with the spirit of holiness. You're not anointed because you've been walking with Jesus faithfully for five, 10, 20 years. You got anointed the day you believed in him. It's already in you. It's already in you. Now, the anointing that is, it's not just in you, it is in us. Guys, are you seeing what I'm saying here? The Holy Spirit started the church. Sorry, Jesus started the church by pouring out his Holy Spirit. By pouring out the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the church was birthed. I don't think it's a stretch to say that the ascension was the critical point. You know what I'm saying? Man, 3,000 people, 3,000 souls, men and women, that day, it says we're added to the household of God. We just read 3,000 and we, we glaze over it, but it's like they all had a name, you know what I'm saying? Like 3,000 different men, women, like people, like individuals to God. 3,000 people were added to God's household that day. One day, I was reading through this and I'm like, man, this might be a big ask, but like, man, Swayze preached on raising our expectations last week and I was convicted, I'm stirred. I'm like, Lord, okay. I didn't know what, I didn't know what you were calling me to believe for. I didn't know what you were calling me to raise my expectation for. I didn't know what would be impossible, as Swayze said, if it was just up to you, but possible if God was involved. And I was preparing for this, one, this, this week, and I said, okay, Lord, I got my expectation. I'm gonna believe that there's gonna be a day in the life of this church in Salt Lake City, Utah, I'm gonna believe that there's gonna be a day, I don't know when, I don't know where, but that as a body, we're gonna be gathered, we're gonna be obeying Jesus, we're gonna be together, we're gonna be praying, worshiping, that a sound is gonna erupt from this house of 120 people, and there's gonna be a day in this valley where we see 3,000 people get saved in one day. Could you raise your expectation with me, church? Could you believe that there's a blueprint for a house where this kind of stuff is normal? The church is the household of God. We're gonna launch into this new season. We've been calling it, I think, kind of regathering, right? Man, COVID was, was brutal. It's still going on. I realize it, but we're, we're realizing, look, we have got to find a way to move forward as a people. These last 18 months, they shuffled the deck. They shook us up in every single way, and we're finding the only thing unshaken is the kingdom of God, and we got to say together. Somebody say together with me, please. We got to be together. We got to be pounding the ground in prayer. This is the 
first marker of the blueprint of God's house is that it wasn't about one guy on a stage. It wasn't about one worship leader playing the keys, okay? It wasn't about any single one person. Did you notice that? This whole story is about them together. Somebody say together, please. The church is the household of God. Why do I keep bringing about, why I keep talking about house? Because it, it's, it's what the Bible says. The church is God's house. And in his house, the word for church is actually ekklesia. Okay, the, the Greek word means an assembly in a public place, okay? So, I know that we have all had to wrestle through in these last 18 months, you know, what do I do? Can I go to church? Is it safe to go to church? Is it loving to go to church? Is it most loving for me to stay home and isolate and try to not spread this thing? What should we do? And look, I, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the togetherness piece here for, in, in a sec, but, but I'm telling you, the word for ecclesia, it, church, household of God, it literally means they left their houses to be together in a public place. Okay, so you can be at home and you can do your thing and you can get encouraged and I encourage you, spend time alone with God at home, but you can't be the church alone with God at home. We are the church when we are together. And when we obey Jesus, when we stay together and when we pound the ground in prayer and say, God, come, he moves, and it's something that happens through the people. Are you with me? And so there's three main goals for this blueprint series over the next eight weeks. I want to tell you what they are, and then I want to talk about this togetherness piece just for one more moment, okay? But there's three main goals, okay? I want us as a team over the next eight weeks to clearly articulate the vision and mission of Antioch Salt Lake. I want you to know, if you've been wondering, where's this new guy taking the church? You know, what's gonna change? Okay, what, where are we going? What are we doing? That's gonna be abundantly clear by the end of the next eight, nine weeks. The vision and mission. Our team, we're already digging into it together. The pastoral leadership team, they're praying through vision. We're pulling everybody. This isn't just me coming to, hey, here's... As a team, we are digging in on vision. We are digging in on mission. We're saying, God, who are we called to be? Over the next eight, nine weeks, you will have absolute clarity, I promise you, on the vision and mission of this church. Okay, over the next eight weeks, number two, we are going to clearly establish a biblical cultural blueprint for this house because culture has this root word, the same root word that we, we use when we say cultivate, right? So culture is basically that which grows. How many of you guys ever tried to build a garden, okay? You either spend a lot of time making sure that what you want to grow grows or you neglect it and other stuff that you don't want grows. You know what I'm saying? Okay, that's how gardening works. Culture, you're either planting it, you're either building it really intentionally and you're defining what you want in your garden or you're just kind of going with the flow and other stuff is growing that you don't wanna be there, okay? So you're gonna know in the next eight weeks what we are intentionally trying to plant in this house as our cultural core values and we're taking them all from the word of God. If I take one of them from some other source other than this blueprint, you don't send me an email. Track me down. Tell me to my face. Rebuke me in public, in person, okay? We are building off of this blueprint. Is that clear? Number three, at the end of the next nine weeks, you're gonna have absolute clarity on the vision and mission of where we feel God has called this body to go. You're gonna have absolute clarity on the culture that we wanna grow here. And then you are going to get to make a decision. We are going to invite you. As Jeglum was saying up here, thank you, Matt Jeglum, to not be a spectator of something that happens on Sunday afternoons, but to bring your gift, to bring your passion, to bring your energy, to bring what it is that God has put in you, and to be a part of this house. 
We're gonna ask you over the next eight, nine weeks, once you have clarity on where you're going, we're gonna say, then go there with us, please. Because we believe that when we obey Jesus, when we stay together, and when we pray with devotion, that God moves, a sound erupts, and a city is touched, you guys. Not by a couple dynamic personalities on a microphone, but by a family in a house where God lives. Anybody wanna be a part of something like that? I mean, am I preaching to myself? Is anybody tired of just like doing church, you know, and just showing up and sitting around? I mean, can you see it, guys? Can you see the future? One last word on togetherness, and then we're gonna respond here. I wanna invite my buddy Jay Masco. Come on up here, Jay, all right? Come on, bring this brother up here. Jay and I went, we were hiking in Neff's Canyon on Friday morning, hanging out, getting out in nature, clearing our heads from his crazy life in the hospitals and my amazing life. You know what I mean, babe? We got a few kids, if we hadn't said that yet. They're so fun. They're amazing. I love them so much. I cannot tell you how much I love my kids. They're incredible. They're also eight years and younger, and we're just like, man, can I get a nap? All right. So we're hiking. Come stand close to me, bro. Come on, come on, come on. Together, dude, together. So Jay starts sharing this revelation with me on our hike, and I'm like, Jay, man, I think you just finished writing my sermon for me, bro. Thank you, because I was going to go sermon prep, but I decided to come hiking with you instead. (laughs) But you just finished my sermon for me on the trail, man. Thank you. But listen, 2020 showed us one thing very clearly, okay? We don't do well in isolation, okay? Uh, Jackson, did we get that graphic? Did I send the the chart? Okay, throw that graphic up on the screen, okay? I want you to see something. That first first side of that graphic, this was the reported um, anxiety and depressive disorder, and the one on your left is in January to June of 2019 among all adults. That number, I think it's 11%. You see that one on the left? Okay, in January of 2021, look how much it grew. What's that number on the right? 41%. Guys, that is an incredible explosion of mental sickness in our country because we, because in our attempts to deal with the unknown of a virus, we, we pushed everybody away from togetherness and we said it is actually healthier for you to stay in isolation. And I'm just saying, it wreaked havoc on our mental health as a country, okay? And we are still unpiling ourselves from that rubble. Some of you are feeling very encouraged right now because you struggled immensely and might still be with anxiety and depression. But here's what I wanna speak to for a second, okay? I wanna speak to the young adults in the room, okay? Would you just stand up? Young adults, anybody here, you're like, you know, just you'd call yourself a young adult. Go ahead and stand up, you're in the room, all right? Cool, cool, great. Man, look at all these young adults in our church. Come on, guys. I love this, I love this. Okay, I wanna speak to you for a minute. And I brought up, I brought up a, your brother to speak to you too in a second, okay? Because listen, listen. With the young adults, you guys, it was worse. It wasn't 41%. For young adults, it was 56%. That means over half of these men and women that are standing up here right now have struggled with anxiety and depression in a debilitating way in the last 18 months because we told them all to go into isolation and to stay away from togetherness. And I understand that we're doing our best job as a country and as the church to deal with this craziness of this thing, of, the, of COVID in the last 18 months, okay? But it hasn't helped your heart. It hasn't helped your emotional spirit. It's pushing us into isolation as a country. And so Jay is gonna share a word and we're going to pray 
You can raise your hand if you want. You can just stay standing if you want. If this doesn't apply to you, just receive the prayer anyway because it's good, okay? But Jay's gonna share this word about what he is finding. God is speaking to him in the restoration of his soul. Then worship team, why don't you guys go ahead and come and join us? Thanks. Hey, family. Hi. So on togetherness, it's so fitting, and it's funny how, or amazing, how Holy Spirit works because... Uh, the nature of my training and just profession, I just have an increased chance of just facing death um, at a highly likelihood than the average person. Um, and I know last week, things are going overall well, routine, rhythm, praying, worshiping, just trying to survive throughout the day. And it was like Wednesday night, this just crazy amount of heaviness just rest on me. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? Because I thought I was doing great. And I'm so used to just going through things and just surviving sometimes. Um, just not everyone understands. It sometimes it's hard as well. But I remember Holy Spirit was just like, reach out to some people. You have people who you're, you need to talk to. Ask for prayer. Ask for prayer. Uh, Chris was one. And then I had a couple other brothers in the room now and from back home in New York that I reached out to. And uh, all right, I felt a little better. And I remember just praying and sitting and just slowing my mind down. And I was refreshed, but... I was able to survive the night, and I get into work the next day, and the heaviest day I probably felt in a long time where so many casualties just being faced day, just all day, hour after hour after hour, and I'm just like, I am tired of God. This is not what I signed up for. I don't know what's going on. Where, where is this heaviness coming from? And I just remember reaching out to brothers all day long, just please pray, because I'm having a hard time. Like, I don't know if I'm gonna survive this day. Like, it is rough right now. And I remember um, people just praying and praying and praying, and I survived the shift, the long shift. But yet I still felt refreshed and I was able to make it through, but something still didn't feel completely um, quite there yet. And get the next day off, and I was just going to go and do my own thing, be busy, go about my business. Um, but I remember Holy Spirit just to say, just, why don't you just rest a little bit? Stay a little longer. And he led me to a song... 19, uh, 7, where it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Uh, the version of the song is restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And the thing that stuck out to me was the word, the law, it restores the soul. And I realized I was surviving, I was being refreshed. You know, worship was amazing, prayer was helping me get through, and I was refreshed, but I wasn't fully restored, and I was just making it through. And in that moment, I was just, wow, Lord, just a quick few words. Your word can literally restore my soul, can like actually make me smile or just breathe, and at the same time, I was like, oh my God, have mercy, because we're doing such a great job as a church and just moving forward and just growing in spirit and worship and allowing Holy Spirit to minister to us and I was like oh shoot Lord I almost forgot how great your word is you know this is amazing and I'm realizing that there's so much foundation of this house that we're building that with that foundation it adds so much more weight to your prayers it adds so much more weight to your worship to your voice to the cries that you have there's more weight with it because you know the person that you're falling in love with you know the Lord who loves you you know his blueprint because it's mapped out for you all you have to do is literally open your word pray and ask him so I think it was so cool that this is where we're at right now. So, um, yeah, that was just a revelation that I had and just want to share with you all. You guys see that? I want you to stay up here with me. We're going to pray. Do you guys see the word Psalm 19.7, that it's the word of the Lord that brings restoration to the soul? And I want you guys to know that as we dig into this blueprint over the next eight to nine weeks, I want you to have clarity that this household is going to be a house that is built on the Word of God. I intentionally just kind of read us through almost two chapters of the Bible because, guys, I love the Holy Spirit, and we're going to be 100% about the Holy Spirit too, and we're going to be 100% anchored in the Word of God. But I feel like in this season, there's an anchoring of our souls. There's a restoration of our souls. If you are not feasting on God's Word, it's time for us to come back, church, you know what I'm saying? It's time for us to dig back in to the Word of God, okay? It is time for us to feast on the daily bread of His Word and let it restore our souls, okay? So if you don't have something to read, read the book of Acts with us, okay? Go through it this semester. Find a friend and life group. Let the Word of God restore your soul. 
today, church. You know what to do. Let's get up and get around these guys real quick. Raise your hand, young adults. Just be bold, okay? Because God wants to break something off your life as we're here together today. If you've struggled with anxiety and depression and it still hasn't lifted off your life, let us contend for you. Let us pray for you. Get your hands up. Come on, be bold. I see them coming up. We love you. There is no shame, okay? There is only breakthrough for your humility, okay? So church, Go to work around these guys. Young adults, if you don't have your hand up, find somebody, okay? If you need prayer, look, shoot your hand up, please. Let us contend for you, all right? Just begin to pray the anointed one, Jesus. He's the one that releases heaviness. Speak his name. Jesus, release heaviness. Break anxiety in this season. Lift the weight of depression in this season. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, church, pray. Come on, the zealous prayer of the righteous. Let's go. I need to hear you pray in church. Let's go. Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit to do what your words cannot do. Let's go. Come on, Lord Jesus. We are contending that you would reverse the statistics in this house. Reverse it in this place. Reverse it in this city. I want you to turn towards me, church. Come here. I want you to turn towards me real quick, okay? Check it out. Check it out. When we moved here as a family, we said, Lord, we're here to lift your name up over this city. We're here to exalt the name of Jesus over the city. And we started asking God. We started saying, God, what is one of your names? Specifically, you've got thousands of beautiful names. We love them all. What is one that you're exalting over this city that you want us to lift up your name? That's what exalt means. We're just lifting his name above every name. And he spoke to our family. And you want to know what the name was? One of the names was Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Prince of Peace. Almighty God. But that Wonderful Counselor thing. Look, guys. I don't know, but I think that we're in probably one of the most prevalent regions in America of mental illness, of anxiety, of depression, of suicide, okay? The opioid rates I've heard in this area are crazy. The plastic surgery rates in this area are out of control. No judgment there. It's just like people are trying to find their peace, okay? They're trying to find trying to find their souls and he's the wonderful counselor we're going to worship we're going to sing a song we all know and we're going to sing we're going to say holy spirit you're welcome here and listen i want you to cry out not just for this house look i want his holy spirit to be welcome here i want him to pour i want the anointed one to pour out his anointing here guys but i want it in that city and i want us to cry out that the wonderful counselor would pour his spirit out in this city in a way that we have never seen guys what if what if we raised our expectation to believe that one church in one city could turn the tide of mental health in a place? Could you believe for that? Could you believe that 120 people could obey Jesus, could stay together, and could pray with devotion, and that God would move, and the wonderful counselor would pour his spirit out in a region? Please, let's sing it together. Lead us in, team. Come on.